On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Welcome back. Gavin Riley with you on the record this Sunday lunchtime. 53106 for your text. On the record NT is our hashtag. It is August the 21st and on this day in 1940, a murder in Mexico City demonstrated the far-reaching power of Joseph Stalin. Now, it wasn't the first raid on the house that was sheltering Leon Trotsky, who was the exiled political theorist, veteran of the Russian Revolution, but it was the fatal blow that took him out. And Ramon Mercader, a Spanish agent who was loyal to Stalin, used an ice pick to eliminate his opponent. Now, you might wonder what is the relevance of all of this to a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday lunch on Current Affairs show in Ireland, but it does raise a fairly interesting question because could this murder have actually happened in an alternative timeline on Irish soil? And potentially, it could, because a few years earlier, there had been much debate over potentially granting asylum here in Ireland to the same Leon Trotsky. So the question is, Donald Fallon, well, why didn't we? And although this is a famous case, it wasn't entirely unique either. No, it wasn't. And you know, look, there was something of an inevitability, wasn't there, in the death of, of Leon Trotsky. It demonstrated the ability of the NKVD. And, and it's worth noting, you know, Trotsky, uh, yeah, he wasn't the only individual that was hunted down beyond the borders of the Soviet Union. Mm. So you know, other names are less familiar, but there's like a, a, a Ukrainian nationalist assassinated in Rotterdam, a former general of the White Army kidnapped on the streets of Paris in 1937, smuggled into Russia and executed. So That you know, seems really impractical. Yeah, like it's the idea extraordinary. Of like, of like hunting someone down like thousands of miles away and then smuggling them back into your border so you could kill them there. Why not just like off with them where they yeah, are? Yeah, it's you know? extraordinary. And it's a, it's a far-reaching power, if you will, of the, of the Stalinist Soviet state. And, you know, in time, the man who killed Leon Trotsky... Uh, post-imprisonment. He was presented with the Hero of the Soviet Union Award, which is the wow. highest decoration of the country, uh, bestowed on him personally by the head of the KGB. And today, I mean, this this murder has long fascinated the world. I mean, the very ice pick that was used uh, is on display at the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. But as we're getting into today, this murder could, you know, it could have happened on Irish soil. The possibility of Trotsky coming to Ireland in the 1930s was very real. Yeah, and it was such a live question because in the 1930s, there was this very significant and seemingly a bit of a, a never-ending international question, which is where exactly could Leon Trotsky actually go? Yeah, and I'm going to give a, a very brief kind of background on, on, on Leon Trotsky. He's born into a Ukrainian Jewish family, 1879. He's a kind of curious international cause in the 1930s uh, because he's still a socialist. That point has to be made. You know, he's he's hostile to Stalinism, but he's still someone who regards himself as part of the global communist left. So even critics of Stalinism and the Soviet Union aren't particularly keen to have him, you know, within their own national borders. So he's known in political circles as the man whom nobody wants in the 1930s. I mean, that's an, <laughs> wow, that's an awful nickname yeah. that bestowed on you, isn't it? So yeah, where, if anywhere, can the most vocal critic of Stalinism uh, be granted asylum? That's a question uh, without end. As was Trotsky, his importance in human history, he's, he's the leader of the, the Red Army during the Civil War in Russia, uh, ensured the victory of the Bolsheviks. I mean, they were fighting everyone. I mean, they were fighting, you know, significant parts of the Western world had lined up against them, including... Mm. Uh, our nearest neighbours, the British, had thrown everything they had at trying to overthrow the Bolshevik state. There was much internal fighting too in Russia. Uh, the very deep divisions of Russian society were very clear during that civil war. But Trotsky was the man who had kind of pulled them through it, uh, if you will. So a great improviser, a great military thinker, uh, and a great organiser, but not someone that the Western world was particularly keen mm. uh, to welcome with open arms into their own nations. Which is maybe what would, is surprising for some people when they're trying to come to grips with all of this, because one would think, maybe with modern thinking, that if you are 
are something of an enemy of the current leader, then you are going to be a friend of the West or that you're going to be something as a, of a yeah. perceived as a Western ally or as a Western sympathizer of one sort. But post-Stalin, Trotsky becomes this very marginalized figure, uh, but marginalized not only within the Soviet Union, but also by the rest of the world because they don't want him either. Yeah, he's in the political wilderness. They call it the, the left opposition uh, within the Soviet Union. And it's essentially, you know, it's, it's totally uh, suppressed. So he's still regarded, I suppose, as a political threat. That's the question in, in Paris, in Berlin, in London. When this arrives on many people's desks, can we take this guy in? Well, their view is, right, he's not a Stalinist, but he's a revolutionary of a different sort. And the civil war in Russia is not a distant memory. And Trotsky still speaks about the need for kind of global revolution so okay. it's not surprising uh, that doors aren't exactly being yeah. flung open in all directions towards yeah, them so the capitalist west aren't exactly come in here and now agitate and sow the seeds <laughs> for the overthrowing of these governments as well that they're, they're not keen to have him um, but earlier though Trotsky had taken a bit of an active interest in Ireland and he was broadly supportive of you know what he saw as a sympathetic revolution over here yeah he commented on the, the at length actually after the Easter Rising and, and the Easter Rising had really divided opinion in kind of you know revolutionary mm. uh, Russian circles some people like Lenin, they felt it was a, a very important thing. It was a blow against the First World War. Lenin hoped it would be the kind of first of you know many rebellions like that that okay. would break out against the backdrop of the global war. Then it, it would undermine Britain, which was on the opposing side. That if, if Britain was slowly beginning to untangle itself, then it would yeah. be good news for their wartime efforts. Absolutely. And as far as Lenin was concerned, you know the, the barricades could go up all over the colonial world. But he, he felt Lenin that you know a blow in Europe, especially a blow in the heart of the British Empire, you know was worth infinitely more than you know an equivalent in Africa or Asia. But there are other people in the Bolsheviks have looked at it and said, well, why should we really take any interest in that? That's a putsch. It's a national uprising. doesn't have anything to do with us. Well, then Trotsky comes out and he defends it. And he writes about how, you know, uh, the heroic defenders of the Dublin barricades and goes on to say, the experiment of an Irish national rebellion in which Roger Casement represented with great personal courage, the outworn hopes and methods of the past is over and done with. But the historical role of the Irish proletariat is only beginning. So in other words, I don't necessarily agree with what motivated that insurrection but I respect it. You know, and the okay. events that followed in Ireland, they were very closely watched from Moscow. We've mm. gone into that a little bit on this slot before. Yeah, the sort of the, the the myth that the Soviet Union was the only country that re- that recognised Ireland 1916, yeah, which, which a, is a myth. A myth that got a run out on Twitter, uh, you know, in, in, in recent times after the, the invasion of the Ukraine. <laughs> but, it got a run out in 1916 yeah. as well. <laughs> but it is, it is a total myth. It is a total myth. And the fact is, the, the Irish Revolution never really took the form that the Russians wanted. The Irish never really had any great enthusiasm towards the Russians either. And it was a kind of unusual, you know, bedfellows, yeah. the kind of thing that happens in a time of global chaos. But Trotsky was one of the, the voices, I suppose, in revolutionary Russia that was a little bit more sympathetic to the cause of Ireland than yeah, others. I suppose Ireland and the Soviet state it was one of those um, your enemy's enemy sort of situations rather than being any natural bedfellows themselves Um, it is though Britain and not Ireland that does seem like the logical place for Trotsky to end up because there's a change of government there in 1929 the very year that Trotsky is expelled from Soviet territories 1929 that's the year that a Labour government comes to power uh, in Britain. And in Britain, there was a kind of broad campaign uh, to allow him into the country. Voices like, you know, the editor of the Manchester Guardian, uh, the economist, John Maynard Keynes. I mean, these are broad voices, people within the Labour Party. Uh, and none of these people agreed entirely. And I don't think, you know, in some cases, even mostly with Trotsky, mm. but they felt that there was an argument for, for allowing him political asylum. And it's kind of interesting to ponder, isn't it? Why would a British Labour Party government mm. in England so swiftly refuse asylum 
uh, to Trotsky. Just to, to remind people, this isn't a sort of a, a Blairite sort of twenty first century Labour Party government. This this is very much of the the, the Mick Lynch, Jeremy Corbyn mould of yeah, Labour Party yeah, government. Absolutely, yeah. it's more you know Care uh, Care Hardy than Care Starmer, you might say. You know, it's an old school <laughs> British Labour Party government. But internally, it's kind of obvious they weren't convinced. You know, Trotsky had promised not to be active in public or political life if people took him in for asylum. They didn't buy it, uh, and the Home Secretary privately said Trotsky's supporters in other countries, France and Germany especially, would be in encouraged and it would have its effect on their communist parties. He would almost certainly become a centre of intrigue against the government with whom we want to enter into friendly relations. It would be futile to expect him to abstain from politics. I think basically the British Labour Party were saying, look, you know, what would this mean for us in the Soviets? What would this mean for us in one of the largest Mm. countries in the world? It's probably better for us just to say no. And by this time then, uh, we have a free state. So there is some autonomy for Ireland in all of this. And if Britain is a no... There are some in Ireland who have a little bit of faith that maybe we might be the answer that Trotsky's looking for. Jack Trainer, a historian, did a lovely piece on this for, for a, a, an Irish history website called theirishstory.com and he really dug into the paperwork on the Irish side of things. And he writes that in Ireland, I mean, the main voice was uh, William O'Brien, trade unionist. Uh, William O'Brien was kind of hostile to Jim Larkin. Larkin was seen as Moscow's man in Ireland and William O'Brien was on the other side of the <laughs> yeah, fence. There's a moniker. But he, he approaches the government of the day and he kind of makes the argument, look, we need to take this guy in. Uh, and the account of that meeting, W.T. Cosgrave, who's basically you know, the first leader of the state, the Taoiseach before we use the term Taoiseach, mm. uh, he uh, gives us a memo. This is Cosgrave's own memo. I asked his nationality, reply, Jew. They were against religion. But he said that that had been modified. I said, not by Trotsky. He said he'd hoped there would be asylum here as in England for all. I agreed that under normal conditions, which we had not here, that would be all right. But we'd no touch with this man or his government, nor did they interest themselves in us in his day. In other words, this is not something for us to touch. It is interesting, though, at that point of, you know, Trotsky's Jewish background is raised, mm. but they weren't keen. That was the, the message. W. Cosgrave, yeah. that government of the state, just were not keen to take him in. Uh, which I suspect is maybe a common thread among some of the other countries that decided not to take him in because the sheer number of countries that rejected the idea of offering asylum to Trotsky is is pretty remarkable. It's almost the entire continent of Europe basically deciding they want nothing to do with this guy. Um, but then three years on in 1932, there are some who maybe give it a second thought yeah. and maybe argue that Ireland is, is worth another go. France, Germany, Belgium, Norway, Britain. I mean, the government's refusing or at least initially refusing to even consider it. It seemed to grow every day. Mm. And then as you make that point, three years later, the government changes in Ireland yes. and Pina, Pina Fáil come to power. And then there's kind of some hope that supporters of Trotsky mm. uh, have you go some back, hope. These, these are the revolutionaries. These yeah, are the guys this, who are this, against this kind of for, formality or this idea of having an accord with Britain. Yeah, these this the true is the government of Eamon de Valera. De yeah. Valera is, you know, he's still got some capital in the eyes of kind of revolutionaries uh, across the world. And kind of left-wing voices in Britain, they proposed to the de Valera government, you know, would you consider taking him in? But one British newspaper, I mean, I think one of their hopes is maybe Devil do it just because the Brits won't do it. Okay. Because it's a way of showing kind of Irish national sovereignty, you know, yeah. in its own strange way. Well, you won't take him in, but we're an independent nation now and we will. But one British newspaper, they run a great report that I think captures that Trotsky would be by no means a favourite person in a Catholic country like the Irish Free State. And Mr. De Valera, with a strong personal opposition to any form of communism, may turn the application down out of hand. But on the other hand, the fact that the Irish Free State is intensely proud of its sovereignty may be a determining factor in the decision to take a different view from the British government. So basically, you don't necessarily agree with them, but you'll just do it out 
of spite. <laughs> yeah, that was well, the that's hope. basically where it is. That was the yeah. hope. But De Valera, you know, he was a great man for reading the public mood. I think he was conscious of the public feeling in, in Catholic Ireland, you know, towards mm. the Russian state. And I don't think he felt that, you know, Joe Bloggs on the streets of Dublin uh, or Cork mm. or, or Kerry cared about the difference between Stalin yeah. and Trotsky. Which is which is ultimately the... <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, fair, a Russian Bolshevik is a Russian Bolshevik. Yeah, uh, so which is why then ultimately uh, Europe is a no-go and why Trotsky ends up in, in Mexico or in Latin America because that's the only place where he feels like he can sort of at least have some sense of, of, of respite or solitude or security. Um, but it then really is one of the great what-if questions of history. What if De Valera had decided to look the other way and said, you know what, we're going to yeah. do this, something out of spite, we're going to exercise our sovereignty and we're going to give asylum to this guy that Britain doesn't want. So there's a few things to ponder in the great what-if here, isn't there? If Dev had said, yes, you know, Trotsky can come to Ireland, you know, would Stalin's influence have followed Trotsky to Ireland? And you have to ask, you know, could... This murder have happened at a cottage, you know, in Connemara or in the west of Ireland instead of well, happening may, in... Maybe not with an ice pick because yeah. we're still decades away from rural electrification. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe with a hurley. But, you know, could this have happened in the west of Ireland in the way it happened in, in Mexico? It probably could have. Then there's the what if, could he have faded into a quiet Irish life and, and retirement, written mm. a memoir and, and retired on it? Uh, you know, or would he have got involved in politics here and come into conflict with the, the Fianna Fáil government? Would they have ended up deporting him? All that's really interesting stuff. Yeah. But, you know, what ifs, of course, that's not how the past occurred but they, yeah. they remain absolutely fascinating things don't they I sort of feel like we've just stumbled onto the subject for another book for you like what, what if Trotsky had ended up here and if he'd been murdered by a hurl in, well, a, in a West Connemara cottage in the 1940s anyone who writes historical fiction I think there's something in this for someone to have a go at. Uh, that's Donald's open invitation to anyone because Donald has already written two books of his own. He's author of the Come Here To Me books and he's the author of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia which is about the social history of 20th century Dublin. He's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about the modern history of Dublin. You can find that anywhere that you get your podcasts online. That is all the time that we have for you on today's show. A big thank you to today's production team led by Aidan McKelvey also featuring the assistance of Anna Wengerchik and for the first time Hugo De Silva on sound. Thank you Hugo and also because we didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him last week goodbye to Jojo Cardoza who has now graduated on to getting his weekends back because he's now working regularly <laughs> weekdays here in News Talk Jojo thank you for all the times that you made a silk purse out of a sow's ear and all the times that you salvaged things at times where they maybe didn't feel like they were on the cusp of being salvaged thank you for everything and enjoy having your weekends back my friend Off the Ball is up next with two live Premier League commentaries and we are back next Sunday morning at 11 o'clock so until then for me Gavin Riley, and all the team thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week on the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.